0: All right, we are live. So, yeah, I want to talk more about the um, what we were just talking about, kind of that tension between going in fully open, fully creative, without specific training in like music theory or like in mixing, and like finding your way, and then like balancing that against mm-hmm. following love- someone who has gone the distance like you've done a lot of
1: both so i'd
0: love to yeah. hear kind of a comparison
1: yeah i mean so it's it's interesting because like so like i guess the only way i can really i feel like i can really fully answer is to kind of go back to like my high school and college days where i was pretty much like the person i guess for lack of a better word cared the most about music um might be a little bit of an exaggeration, at least as far as creating. Like I was like, I want to create music, mm-hmm. you know. Like obviously, I love listening to music, but I was like, the creation aspect was my my real like passion uh, initially. So you know, I would just like noodle on guitar, and just like, and I would reverse engineer all my music theory knowledge at that time. So just noodling, and then we like, oh, I found a normal you know minor scale, and then I'm we'll gonna look up what that is called. Like oh, it's called a only. It's like <laughs> technically true, but <laughs> but not that useful. <laughs> it's just it's just minor, um, you know. So just like kind of doing that self discovery, which I which I really enjoyed. It's like a little bit like the first time you like play Minecraft, mm-hmm. and like rather than like Googling how to do everything, because it's a little three by three grid. You can just plug stuff in, and then you find something. go, that's so cool! I did it, and that yeah. makes sense too. And uh, so, yeah, that, that discovery aspect was uh, definitely a huge motivator um, and a huge part of the creative process to me. So at that time with my high school band and mostly the college band as well, it was, it was pretty much like I was the guy who knew how to do everything, kind of, which is, I guess, again, for lack of a better, a better term, I don't want to say toxic but like it's not like sustainable for a band mm-hmm. like, unless you can really be patient and really educate bandmates who are like really open to learning um but you know yet again if i don't know how to communicate things if i don't know what to call things if i don't have you know i'm not a teacher i'm a learner right mm-hmm. i'm a self-taught person so i don't, I don't know how to teach necessarily like certainly, it's better than someone who has no idea teaching, but uh, it's <laughs> it's not a, a directly transferable skill. Hmm. So, I guess uh, getting a little bit rambly here, but yeah, once you um like start like learning from people who like need to communicate and all like have a lot of like. They don't have the same gaps in knowledge you, you realize just how little you really know uh mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really humbling getting lessons from someone like griggs it's uh it's wild because <laughs> he'll just be describing like oh it's a this inversion or you could call it this core <laughs> i'm just like that is uh, you're going way too fast for me buddy <laughs> yeah uh, but I like because I also like, you know you, you don't necessarily want to interrupt someone while they're explaining something like that and you're just like I'm still gleaning the the general the gist of it I don't need to know exactly what he's doing and exactly what he's playing as long as I know what I need to know you know from a, from a learner teacher perspective because ultimately I still have to do the self teaching right I still have to go and spend twenty hours you know every two weeks practicing I mean, give or take. Um, probably less than that most of the time to be honest but
0: (laughs) yeah i'm right (laughs) yeah i think there's something about having confines to create inside of that can unlock creativity in a totally different way like i feel like most people at least in my experience like my personal experience so i whenever i've started stuff i do like to go in kind of with like a blank slate you know i get inspired by all Mm -hmm. that could be out there but anytime i get serious about something i'm looking for some sort of guidance Uh, yeah
1: like uh, kind of like a not necessarily a formula but that's like uh good starting point having having some sort of basis like you know you know if you're like oh i want to make um like prog music or versus pop music having a, a a basis for that um
0: and i think that's one of the biggest advantages of being a human like i was i was watching a comparison between like octopus intelligence and human intelligence the other day and one of the biggest things they pointed out is that like an octopus has to learn everything about the world that it's going to learn in its lifetime. It can't really pick up like information from, even from its parents or anything. Like there's no generational transfer of information and it would, it would be like comparing uh, how an octopus progresses through life would be like, being born and literally having to invent fire and invent writing (laughs) all in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they're capable of everything that they are capable of as like animals, it's, it's sort of an interesting, uh, I know this is going a way different direction than we started, but it's kind of an interesting it raises some interesting questions about intelligence and also about the selfhood of of us, of, of humans. I have kind of been thinking for a while now that fiercely individualistic values are they're important they make a good counterbalance against uh a, against the societal force that can like totally erase people but we are also part of each other mm-hmm. in a in a way that's pretty unique in i mean it's it's super unique in the animal kingdom because I mean, we can communicate even through time, you know, I can read books that were written 1000s yeah. of language of years ago. Yeah, language and, is uh, the,
1: uh, the very unique thing that humans have opposable thumbs and inquisitive minds are useful. But language is, I think the main separator from us versus, you know, your your other apes, for example.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting, because there's already from joining into even just a globalized society or what, no matter where you're born into society, you are entering into a consciousness that's far larger than you, where you're borrowing, even if you Mm -hmm. only get exposed to a little bit, you're borrowing far more information than you could have discovered in your lifetime in like the normal,
1: Mm -hmm. I'm being pretty big here. Shoulders of giants and all that. Yeah. 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 I mean, Uh, it's uh it's it's funny because like i feel like modern american ideologies especially are just like so toxically individualistic and i'm not gonna say that i'm not like (laughs) also (laughs) you know like i'm definitely uh living an individualist lifestyle like Mm. and you know Balancing that and like I like I got used to solitude, really, like from bouts of depressive episodes and uh feeling I don't want to say estranged from my family, but just like you know, like having a a family that's largely religious and me kind of poo-pooing that super early on and getting more and more adamant about it because you know, you have to double down, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If they're gonna, no, well, you'll just be Christian. Well, what if I'm not, though? Yeah. <laughs> what if actually I've, like, really convinced myself that I'll never be already? Yeah. Like, <laughs> the same way that you've convinced yourself that you'll never not be Christian. Mm-hmm. What if it's like an equal sort of thing, but opposite?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but, yeah, so there's, there's that sort of implicit, fierce individualism that kind of grew out of that. And definitely... Uh, you know, kind of got used to being a bit of a recluse to an extent, but I don't think that that's unique to me. I think that that's a very common thing, uh, and not just because of religion. I, I I just think that we are, as a society, are fiercely individualistic to our own detriment.
0: Yeah, it's it is definitely a very American thing. I've noticed because when I was in school, I spent a lot of time. I was involved in an organization that would try to help international students get acclimated. And a lot of them, I mean, they were very connected with their families and then a lot of the international students, they had moved, they had immigrated in with their families and you would have three, sometimes even four generations in a pretty small house by like standard American Mm -hmm. standards. Um, And they were like, why would we not Live together and take care of each other and like, yeah. get along, even though we're not all the same people. <laughs> like, so
1: many less, thi- like so much less things to worry about if you have that support structure. Yeah. You know, if like if I if I like, I mean it's probably not that likely, but like you know if I if I get in an accident here at home alone, like <laughs> who's, who's gonna know? Gunther, Gunther, <laughs> call nine one one.
0: Yeah, it's, that's the nice thing about um, like the internet and stuff has, it really has been like an evolution because now, even if we are kind of ostracized from our immediate family community or even our immediate, like the town we live in or something, or we don't see eye to eye with them, Mm -hmm. it's possible to interact in real time which is amazing with people that we are have a share a wavelength with um, and then so it makes it I think it makes it a little bit easier at least it has in my life to kind of go out on a different path be sort of going back to what we opened with uh, because it's not so lonely it's not literally like it would have been 2000 years ago where it's like if it if i didn't see eye to eye with my community and had like a really major falling out with my village or whatever you know they're gonna be like get the fuck out of (laughs) here and then i would die (laughs) (laughs) I'm (laughs) i'm
1: gonna go on a hike guys yeah. I'll, do, I'll stop at all the hiking towns yeah. for, some, for resupply every now and then yeah. there's so many of those
0: and yeah I know they are because i
1: have i've got gps and everything yeah.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> and so that's where i think that i think empathy is a skill i think it's a skill it's a skill in a number of different ways um in i mean in like a a warring tribe or whatever, like empathy, the ability to see things from the perspective of your enemy is help you is helpful. It makes you more effective at fighting the thing that you're fighting against as a hunter gatherer, being able to think like prey is going to help you find them, trap them and finish them off. Being able to think like the predators that are hunting you is going to enable you to outsmart them. So I feel like empathy is it's a survival skill really that um, it's what I'm, you know, I study philosophy. I study especially stoicism, you know, that's kind of what got me interested in it because it was super helpful to me around the time I met you is kind of when I first encountered it and I had started the whole roses from bones thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but there's, there's like a red pill version of Stoicism mm. that uh, is what most people think of when they hear Stoicism. And they think of like this kind of red pill, Reddit broicism. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's the kind of thing that you see in a lot of jaded uh, masculine communities that are right on that border of being like, write about a lot of shit but also
1: whack as fuck <laughs> you're missing all of the nuance technically correct on, on some of those points but you're missing a lot of the nuance and, um... and I think a big
0: I think one of the biggest problems is that having emotions is hard and I, I've kind of, I've said on other podcasts and I've said in some of my content, you know, I kind of believe that we live almost in two worlds. We've got this jungle world where we're apes who are still like out trying to survive in a wilderness. It's just very, very different than what we were programmed for. Yeah. And then we also are I mean, we're basically software. <laughs>
1: we're a consciousness mm-hmm. of some kind. Uh, <laughs> We're just an awesome. advanced AI. We're not even that advanced <laughs> yeah. anymore. I, I was using Chat GPT the other day and holy crap.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've been actually using it quite a oh, bit. Um, it's interesting. It's just another one of those things where it's uh, it has access to more information than can fit in a single human brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, we've it's systematically. Also... Sorry, finish. Oh no. we've systematically like outsourced more mm-hmm. and more of our collective memory to technology until like we've sort of created this giant cyborg. Yeah.
1: I mean we have like just like so much like redundant content already. So I can definitely see the case for chat GPT or similar AIs in the future just kind of replacing search engines. Um
0: That's exactly what not, I've been using. Maybe not.
1: For totally replacing it but like it's so much more convenient like i i don't know just as an example like i was having a conversation with someone about how my birthday occasionally lands on mlk day and talking about how oh so you got your birthday off in school and i'm like no it happened like once or twice and then i asked chat gpt like uh what years does mlk land on january 18th yeah and then, <laughs> it's, it's a really you know Concise answer, giving the exact years from 1965, the first year it was observed as a federal holiday, to 2021, the last year that it happened. And in high school, or rather, like all you know, like kindergarten through high school, there was one year. It was 1999. (laughs) So I, which is like, I would never intuit that because it's like I was in school for like over a decade. (laughs) So that was (laughs) only once. There's seven days in a week, so it's got to be. Yeah, literally literally one year. Yeah, Uh, that's um I actually kinda like a one off search for Chat GPT or query for because it's a little more than a search at this point.
0: Yeah. One of the problems like I do a lot of research for what I do, you know, especially when I was doing more freelance content. I was basically doing homework for a living for like two years, writing freelance. Blogs for businesses and stuff like that. Research was a large part of what I did. Did and then even now, as a guy who's writing my newsletter and writing blogs and stuff, I do a, a lot of research, trying to understand philosophical concepts, tie them in with psychology here and there, understand some things that happen in history, and uh, so I've pulled Chat GPT into that because one of the biggest problems with Google is that it's fucking. Fake as fuck. Like having been on the backside of being someone who gets paid to get articles to rank on the on the front page.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
0: now, when I do any kind of Google search, I know that a lot of what I'm reading is bullshit that basically just got gamed with keywords mm-hmm. to generate on the on the front page, and then it yeah. just kind of creates this circle jerk where every article becomes a summary of the other ten Another articles article. from the first yeah. page. Yeah, the first and, like,
1: three pages are like almost identical articles.
0: And that happens at this oh, wow. point with just about everything. And mm-hmm. then, and it has really, I've noticed it now that I'm a writing tutor at a school. I have definitely noticed it has undermined the quality of research that students do, even in comparison to uh, like how I'm sure you did and how I did in high mm-hmm. school. Like I still used books for research back then. And I haven't, I've gone through a few dozen papers at this point. I haven't seen anyone cite a book for anything. You know, they're citing web pages and stuff like that. And I mean, there's some useful stuff on the internet, but it's just a, yeah. it's a strange world, especially since I come, I'm coming from it now, understanding how those articles even make it to the front page of Google and understanding how, shallow you know it's really the information is
1: i hadn't actually thought about this really before but like yeah you get like 30 articles that are essentially like sponsored articles for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. and then like i i just remember like the animosity that teachers used to have towards wikipedia when that was first a thing but i and i i don't really know because you know how are you going to fact check that stuff but like I, i i feel like wikipedia is like way more comprehensive and unbiased than the majority of these like sponsor essentially sponsored articles
0: yeah absolutely and, and,
1: that, and i guess like the analog that just popped into my brain with this is that it's kind of a socialist thing versus like a corporate you know individualistic you know like oh we're trying to get a leg up with our company's content so you know copy theirs but not really <laughs> yeah and then with wikipedia it's all centralized which is Simultaneously scary, because it's like, if we do have some sort of line here,
0: you know. Yeah, and there is, like, people who get canceled and then get, like, their Wikipedia pages will be locked to editing, and then, like, the Wikipedia, the people Mm -hmm. who are higher up in the Wikipedia organization, so they have total control over certain people's reputation. That is something that happens, but even then, like, Mm -hmm. Wikipedia, I mean, now that I'm writing research papers and stuff again, sometimes if I'm researching, I was doing a paper on logical fallacies. I went to Wikipedia first. And then what I did is I checked the sources that the article uses because they use, they have footnotes and they, I mean, they link out to actual documents, actual books. So it is a great kind of aggregate of scholarly Mm -hmm. sources with some shit that might be mixed in there. So, So while it's not safe to cite necessarily a Wikipedia page, as a itself. source of truth yeah. it is a, a more it is effective a good, yeah. it points to truth more effectively than these sponsored articles that yeah that don't of even have citations to google
1: most of the time yeah
0: yeah yeah it's uh it is really hard to find useful objective information these days on google which is what it was originally developed for but because monetization is so integral into how their platform operates they have to monetize it undermines the quality of their information and that's that's it's one of those push and pulls where it's like as soon as money gets tied in with the arbiters of truth that's when shit goes off the rails Uh, I mean, you see it in politics, you see it in religion, you see it just all over. And I mean, even in like the music industry, like Mm -hmm. what becomes popular isn't what's good. It's what gets funded because Mm -hmm. people, people can't seek out what they haven't been exposed to. Mm -hmm. And so the stuff that makes up the mainstream isn't actually what people would like if they were exposed. It's not necessarily what people would like yeah, the yeah. most. If they were exposed to it, it's what is presented to them. And so there's no way they could like anything else. Also, I just
1: noticed mm-hmm. your shirt. I like that you're wearing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a good shirt. it's really comfortable. It's, uh, you know, it's comfy. It's cool. I like it.
0: Yeah, I just I wore mine yesterday. <laughs>
1: I have one too. Good, good thing you didn't wear it today.
0: Yeah, I should have.
1: <laughs> we would have kept them on too.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'd be like, should one of us change? Nah. But yeah, I think right. um, that is that is one of the biggest problems with the music industry, and although I mean, now.
1: You- I feel like a similar thing could be said of almost i like i you know I, i'm not gonna be like sassy socialist skewer capitalism obviously socialism and especially communism have plenty of problems uh but you know i really feel like people just kind of neglect the problems of capitalism you know the paradox of choice and you know all of these you know things with marketing power and you know means of production like means of production with with pop music for example Like, part of the reason that pop music is what it is is because they literally just get a really good producer who makes, you know, probably a decent amount of money with royalties, uh, but, you know, like, the publisher is really who's making bank on it, and the artist is also, you know, probably making a decent amount of money, especially from performing, but, again, they're not really making bank (laughs) on it. Yeah. I mean, and and that probably depends a little bit on the artist. You know, there's a lot more... There's a little bit different topology these days with, um, you know, streaming services and whatnot, but you know that's its own problem.
0: <laughs> I think I saw some statistics for a Rihanna album, and it was like fifty. It was like an average of fifty thousand dollars of production fees per track, mm-hmm. and it was like a sixteen-track album or something like that. And mm-hmm. I mean, they probably use they probably didn't use a single producer for the whole album. Um, mm-hmm. But even then, they probably only used, like, four or maybe six or something. You, know, there's, you can only have so many hands in yeah. the pot until it yeah. becomes a mixtape instead of an album. Yeah. Uh, Which, I mean, a lot,
1: of, a lot of pop musicians, you know, because they're usually just getting plays from, like, four or five songs on a given album. For, for the majority, right. So.
0: Well, that's where, so that's where stuff like Spotify actually comes in really handy a lot of people don't like spotify they think that they take advantage of artists but you take things like i mean a playlist like a spotify playlist is the only legal way in history that anyone has ever made a mix a a mixtape you know back when we would download music and then rip them off the cds and burn a new cd with just our favorite songs like back then it was it was illegal and then to try to give that <laughs> out to our friends and share it, even if our friends were That's discovering so new music, it was totally illegal and the artist wasn't making any more money for it. But now yeah. if I make my own mixtape and I listen to it 150 times, the artist gets paid every time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the artist is going to get paid every time I listen to that playlist for the next the rest of my life, really. it's mm-hmm. a, It's a very novel thing. And it's something that I think a lot of people don't think about that kind of long-term impact of owning digital music available for streaming for 60 years. No one has owned tracks that were able to be streamed all over the world for Mm -hmm. 60 years before. We don't know what's possible with that. And so that's where I take more of an optimistic stance on a lot of these streaming platforms. Mm -hmm. Uh, I discover a lot of great music through them and oh yeah no, either...
1: I, I do appreciate them for for the utility definitely i don't know i i have kind of like a, a bit of a hot take with with the music and copyright and ip in general like it yet again i guess getting a little bit of a sassy socialist here i, don't, I just feel like commo- like cr- making art into a commodity and creating everything into a copyright is like disingenuous to the process of the creation of art. insofar as like when you create art, it's only in like a culture, like or like it's only relevant, like at the time you create it, like almost inherently, like certainly classics exist, but those classics are classics because they were super relevant at the time. For example, if mm-hmm. someone painted the are- Mo- Mona Lisa today, we would look at it and go, that's kind of like a bad, <laughs> <laughs> this yeah, isn't really yeah. good. Like, I mean, it's yeah. it's. Good. I can't do that. So yeah, it's impressive. But like, I don't care. <laughs>
0: I wouldn't buy that as an NFT. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah like, why? What is this? Is in a museum. Who cares? Yeah. You know, like you, you sculpt Michelangelo's David today. It's like okay, great job. That's really good. Like impressive. No one cares. <laughs> yeah. Like you have, now, you have to post it on TikTok. The process of you creating Michelangelo's David, if you want to get popular. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you gotta. And then and then you gotta do another one. You gotta be like, oh, I did a I did a statue of my buddy in 24 hours. <laughs> I did a live yeah,
0: stream. you gotta push it off a building and shoot it <laughs> with a with, with yeah. a spaghetti. And then gun I destroyed something. it. He thought I was gonna sell
1: <laughs> yeah. it to him, but then I just blew it up. <laughs> I put three pounds of C4 inside of Michelangelo's David.
0: Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that is, um, I mean, it's another situation where, like, the injection of money into art, I think, does kind of fuck it up. Because you get you get mm-hmm. shit like that. Like, art in and of itself and creativity almost becomes a joke and something mm-hmm. that is more valuable by being destroyed or
1: yeah, tr- something tra- like that. I mean, then it is there's, there's something to it because art is inherently transient most of the time, except for the few things. I it'd be really interesting to like look into the psychology and sociology of the classics, but ultimately it would probably come down to you know who has better marketing.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, especially I think the marketing problem it's always been a thing, but. <laughs> I think it gets exacerbated by the digital age. But we... I mean, we're witnessing, I'd say, a damn near objective degradation of the quality of art and music in general. Um, At least in, like, the mainstream sphere. Like, a lot of the biggest hits, they're becoming even... what's being pushed as the mainstream, like even the people to whom it's being pushed, like young people and stuff like that, a lot of times there's been a resurgence now in a lot of like 80s music, a lot of older music that is more authentic. You know, even if, if it was still part of a marketing machine back then, it's it was less manufactured than a lot of what can be found today. I don't have any like,
1: Great examples because yeah, I have I mean I think it's it's different like art forms really because like art or like music is like on one hand it's a performance art, right? And then on another hand it's more akin to like a visual art and like often becomes like a hypermedia experience and and that's really what makes a song great a lot of the times like if it has like a really interesting video that goes along with it that makes mm-hmm. it more meaningful than the song would have been. So I mean there's I feel like it's a little bit it's a little bit too reductive to say that, you know, it's a, it's like objectively regressing. But I can definitely see yeah. how, at least in your conventional pop music, it has become. It's it's not, it's not the artist that people are really listening to. They're listening to the sound designers and producers most of the time. Don't get me wrong. The vocalist is featured on it, and you know that that person's unique. You know vocal folds and chords, whatever the hell you want to call them, are are certainly of value, but like we like their skill isn't even as important anymore, you know because of pitch correction. yeah
0: yeah i um I didn't do a good job of kind of dictating what I meant, and also like. It's not fair to say it's objectively worse, Uh, more narrow, perhaps, uh, because Mm -hmm. you get with stuff like auto tune and stuff that's like overly pitch corrected, overly compressed, you know, less dynamic range, and so
1: Mm -hmm. yeah, the loudness. It
0: doesn't necessarily mean it's worse, but I feel like modern music is less expressive at least from the perspective of the artist perhaps the producers maybe Mm -hmm. enjoy more of a feeling of expression in what they're doing i don't have as much experience with like working in the daw and stuff like that Uh, Mm -hmm. but even then since it's kind of like how like people who work in a hospital will complain about hospital administration treating patients like customers and I feel like that's the music industry sort of sort of does to music consumers, and mm-hmm. it re- it's like the yeah I'm, I'm being really vague and not super helpful, but yeah the loss of I feel like a lot of modern like top tracks are less expressive Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like you said that might not be true
1: though i mean you know dynamic you know like when someone's whispering they're not really whispering right like in like because of the lack of dynamic range in a pop track when someone's whispering they're in your ear uh which can be its own effect but you know that you know it's very intimate right um it evokes different emotions than someone whispering like three feet from you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And you, you can't, (laughs) unless you turn off every other instrument, you're not going to hear that. You're not going to have that dynamic range in, in in any pop track at least. Um, And then, yeah, I think the other big thing is the, the click, right. We're all playing at a click. That's Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, like you and James were talking about, like it's, it's, uncomfortable to record to and yeah there's a reason for that it's because when you play your songs normally there's an ebb and flow you're not at a fixed bpm even drummers they're not at a fixed bpm they're mm-hmm. I'm, i mean it you know it depends on the act a little bit they you know they might be following the guitar or the bass or the vocalist they might be like just dictating their preferred pace but even them they're not most of the time going to be this bpm the whole time so like the the product of like a produced album at least in pop is like leagues apart from what it would be when you know the same artist for example does like an acoustic version of it um
0: right or even live you know ariana grande brings mm -hmm. a whole fucking band
1: yeah yes playing with playing with a band yeah which yeah those are those are the artists that i like to go see like as much as i love post malone's like studio stuff I would never go see him live unless he was doing an acoustic set or oh, right. I mean like cuz like I watched like his Nirvana tribute live stream and he played with a band and that was cool. Right. But, like I don't yeah. want to see you go like sing over it's like it's like he's just singing over the song. He has his yeah. other vocal parts still in it, and he's just singing along. With it. It's like this is
0: it's like, like an open mic. At it's
1: not <laughs> even karaoke. <laughs> it's, it's not even an open mic. It's it's like you're literally just like blasting your own music and singing along with it. Like it's not a performance. Yeah, not worth. Uh, I don't know why people do that. <laughs> so, that. Yeah, I be. do
0: like the point you raised about sound design, though, because I think. I think, or I I mean, I know for a fact, like I've heard some really amazing things done with sound design. Uh, Just the way, but you have to be using, you have to be enjoying it through sophisticated equipment. And so there's a, I guess it's kind of like an antiquity. There's always been a buy-in to experience the true art. So like in music, music has been largely commodified. And so people, are listening to these heavily produced and like maybe highly sound designed tracks on like mm-hmm. a phone speaker yeah. on their counter. Speaker. Yeah. And the people who are really enjoying the fullness of what is offered are the people who have the time and resources to really enjoy it in the uh, optimal conditions, uh, which is yeah. um, kind of how it's always been. I mean, even like the Mona Lisa was not painted mm-hmm. for the masses. Yeah, this is. Although,
1: although at least in in the U.S., and I think this is this could explain—I don't really know—but I would I would just kind of arbitrarily say that it probably could explain why trap music is so popular. It's because of how standard it is to have a decent subwoofer system on your average, you know, mid-range vehicle. So if you can afford a car, even like a lightly used, like decade-old car these days, has decent audio. Like unless someone cranked it so bad they blew it out, of course. Right. <laughs> but you know, like you, and also like they have you know quadraphonic sound potentially. I don't think most things are mixed for that, but I think some mm-hmm. CDs actually used to be mixed for that. Um, and, you know, that's that's the new like elite like, uh, I guess, thing that you would need to spend lots of money for is surround sound albums. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Which I've I've seen and I like I had like a really crappy little 5.1 sound bar that kind of gives you like a little bit of a surround sound. Yeah, and I, I listened listen to a couple things on that and it's definitely a, a unique experience. But <laughs> is it really worth shelling out another thousand whatever dollars? I mean, right. You can probably make it cheaper than that, but still.
0: You know, yeah, hundred like
1: speaker. Then now you need five of it well four of those and then a uh, subwoofer or you know, i don't know it's a, it's expensive and then just setting that up and maintaining that although i guess people are also buying record players so there is an expense
0: yeah and that's also an interesting thing because vinyl is a worse quality of sound but mm-hmm. perhaps a more enjoyable and immersive experience because of the tangibility mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. But like I mean, having, it's, having a it's book is worse versus having
1: sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think and they, they use the way, better materials today. But yeah, like it's, you can still like scratch it and it's still, um, I mean, I don't know what the Kayla Hertz is going to be. But yeah, then there's dust on it and then it's, it's going to be worse sound, right? Yeah, eventually yeah. it I will mean, degrade. It
0: degrade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it might be like
1: just as good as like a at least a moderate quality. I have no idea. I haven't researched this, but I, I imagine that like modern materials probably can do like a, a standard like forty one or forty eight kilohertz and have sufficient quality initially. Yeah, I mean,
0: <laughs> it sounds yeah, it sounds decent. It's not like it sounds bad, but compared to the le- the quality that you can get even from like streaming or from yeah. uh, you can stream at especially a CD. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And I mean, especially older vinyl records, but you lose a lot of you actually do lose a lot of dynamics by committing something to vinyl. But there's then something about I, it's the mm. immersion, I think, in a physical experience. And then what you mentioned about trap music, it kind of got me thinking like trap is very immersive because mm-hmm. of its sound design because you've got a lot of highs and a lot of lows yeah. kind of all going at the same time. And even if you don't have the ebbs and flows, of uh, dynamics, mm-hmm. the sounds are all present in a, it, I mean, far more so than like a, an acoustic, you know, singer songwriter guy at a local open mic. And so there is certainly an argument to be said that even if the musician, Playing at like at some dive bar is better than the musician rapping on a trap song. The trap song still may provide a better like, experience because it's so much more immersive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's like having a Dolby Digital with the ridiculous bass versus like watching something on your TV <laughs> at home.
2: Uh, yeah Yeah.
1: obviously not the same though um yeah i I, i'm a big fan of big bass obviously yeah me too if only i could mix it (laughs) 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 it's a nightmare Uh, so
0: that is actually another thing i wanted to talk about is you've had a lot of experience flying solo and a lot of experience working and Team like team settings on mm-hmm. creative pursuits, you especially yeah. music, and like what have you learned from both of those things?
1: Um, I feel like I, most of the things I've learned, I can only say for certain apply to me because my motivations sort of wax and wane. So, like for example, if I'm working on my own thing i am you know very much following inspiration right where it's like oh you know what? that that's an idea for a song and then either like i pretty much do it then maybe make a note like do it soon and then like you know like write enough that i can turn into lyrics to write a song uh but yeah you know i, I pick it up and i put it down and I it's, uh, it's not productive like i think like it's not consistent it's in this world right. of constant content, right? We can't. I can't not release something, like it, at least every year. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe not a full album, but like at least a song a year. You know, get a couple singles out, and then release an EP next year, and then get another single out, and then you know, release an album the next. I don't know, but. Yeah, so as far as like having that consistency, the only band that I've had that with so far, and this is very premature to say, is Another Arc. And I think the primary reason for that is because we have a very open and collaborative way of writing. And it is also ultimately purely just for fun. So, you know, I think like I was saying before we started recording, we have um sunset nightmares out which i wrote the majority of and then devin wrote a fire solo over it nate added drums to it and then we recorded it nate mixed it and it's out there it's as great and that's already motivating having something that you know i wrote most of out there and then don't tell the one that nate wrote the majority of uh and also did the mixing i d- did the like the longer feature solo on it devin of course had lots of leads and, and solos on it as well uh, and then the next one that we're recording is—I um, don't know what the actual title is going to be—but the the working title is "The Lobster Crows at Midnight," which we should just share with that. <laughs> yeah, just keep that. <laughs> we'll probably change it because <laughs> it's not the vibe at all. <laughs>
2: but, you know, because we just
1: give something like a dumb name to be funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and that one Devin wrote the majority of. And honestly, like I'm procrastinating and I'm recording it because I want to rewrite my parts. <laughs> like these just kind of boring. <laughs> like I, I don't know. We'll see. Um but yeah we have a, a very we also have like a weekly meeting. Like so I I took this idea of like running it like a scrum team. So for I guess mean. for viewers uh for reference I work as a software engineer during the day. My my coworker says I'm daylighting as a programmer.
2: Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And I used
1: to be a Scrum Master Which is basically the servant leader It's it's it's, it's like a guruism It's like a, a lot of BS It's a lot of like self-propagating It's kind of like a cult but for corporate Software stuff <laughs> Not to <laughs> say that it doesn't have like a lot of good Things about it, I'm just saying like, yeah. the, Part of the Scrum Master's job is to Teach the rest of the organization about Scrum And how it's the, the way, the truth, and the life Or whatever bullcrap <laughs> But <laughs> But there are uh, definitely facets of Agile Scrum, as it is called, that can be used for running a band. Um, so what we have is, and we, we had experimented th- with this a while ago, um, we have Git version control. Mm-hmm. So when someone records something, they commit just the things that they've added to whatever we have already and push those up. And then the other band members can pull those down without having to, you know, like, so you don't have to zip up five gigs of raw waves, and then right. put them on Google Drive, wait for that to finally upload, because everyone's got a 10 megabit upload speed, unless they have like FIOS or whatever, um, and then share that. And then everyone has to download it, which is probably going to be faster than the upload. But, you know, it's like too many steps. you just Now you just push, and it goes up. You don't have to... Baby, you don't have to create a shareable link. It's just, it's just there. And then the other people can pull it down and they can see the history. So if you're like, oh, I did these takes and I actually hate them, you can revert them. Um, or if you're like, for example, you're mixing if you're committing and you know, you're you pushing up these updates as you're going, then you go like, I actually kind of hate all the changes I've done the last two days. I'm going to go and revert them one by one until I find the one that I liked more.
0: Um, yeah, it's you're taking a project management approach. And yeah. I think it's extremely effective because I don't think you have a lot of ego tension in your group. And mm-hmm. then yeah. another thing. Yeah. We're all very open. All,
1: yeah. You guys are all busy too. And yeah. We like, all work full time. Really wanna... so there's, yeah. Yeah. So there's no one person who has way more time to just like, you know, shit songs out and be like, well, I'm doing all the work. So I take ownership of everything and I'm going to, nitpick, you know, not saying that that's like the be-all all of that sort of situation, but I mean, like if you're writing most of the songs, yeah, you, you should be nitpicking kind of because you are right. setting the vision for the band. Right. So yeah, since we and all, that's... you know, are preoccupied with our own things and it is ultimately just for fun. We just have these, these little things in place to make it easy to make it fun. So we also, in addition to the version control system, we have a weekly meeting which is like a daily stand up that we would have at work, mm-hmm. which is just, you know, the the big three questions. Like, what did you do in this case last week? Uh, what are you planning on doing this week? And is there anything stopping you? Um, and we, we don't even really adhere to that anymore. Like, it's kind of obvious that those are the things you got to talk about because, you know, it's yeah, just like right? stats update, you know, and and probably at least half a time, I mean, maybe even more than half time, we're like, I didn't do crap this week. <laughs> yeah. But just the fact that we have that meeting, just so that we can, you know, maybe feel like a little bit guilty about how we said we would do a thing and then we didn't, mm-hmm. that is, you know, it's it's just enough to keep momentum going. Um, and then, you know, especially now that we're in recording mode, it's a lot easier, I think, to get that momentum um and then especially because we've written separate songs we have our own investment in it right uh and and i think that's kind of like the downfall of like my high school and college bands where i was the guy who wrote all the stuff and Mm -hmm. you know I was the know-it-all and i was the one setting the vision i was the only one competent enough to really do it um you know those are inevitably going to fail if other people don't feel that they can contribute um Because, or at least in my case, and I think in most people's cases, because of that lack of intrinsic and undying motivation to continue writing, Um, definitely Mm -hmm. for me, probably less so for, you know, I'm just, I'm sure there's plenty of artists out there who just, they just have it. They're just on it. They're just like, oh, I've got another idea for a song. I've got another, you know, like, I'm sure they have their, their bouts of not writing songs, but those are much shorter and understandable and... Still productive enough to be successful, whereas I am not that way. Um, So those bands couldn't pan out. Yeah, I think,
0: um, yeah, the humility. I think, I mean, obviously, it's impossible to collaborate without a certain sense of humility, but also the buy in. Like, if you're going to be on a team like that, especially, you know, most bands when they're starting out there's not money floating around the only money floating around is money that's floating out <laughs> yeah, yeah it's the money <laughs> so that you're or, spending to publish to... from your part-time
1: or whatever job you have which yeah it's, it's going out it's like now this is a, a <laughs> this is a uh what, what uh, uh, I'm losing the word it's a comfort that you know it's like a a luxury that's the way it's a luxury yeah. that you're spending money on now. At this point, like or at least until you can yeah, be exactly. profitable much further in the future. You know, best case, a couple of years; worst case, you know, a decade, twenty. Never. <laughs> yeah, but I think
0: that it's. I think it's easier to produce good art when it doesn't have to be profitable.
1: Yeah. I agree hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And that, that kind of goes back to a little bit of my hot take about copyright where it just, the whole thing seems disingenuous mm-hmm. to the process of art where it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm referencing this or I'm parodying that. I mean, well, I guess parody has its own very specific exception, but like, yeah. if you like do a derivative cover, like if you do a mashup cover. Now you're infringing on that copyright, unless you've specifically gotten the mechanical licenses to use those. Uh, it's a derivative work so you got to get licenses license. from, from each yeah and then, yeah if you want to publish it to yeah. youtube even if it doesn't have an actual video you need to sync license uh so <laughs> mm. uh, i mean obviously in reality you know you this is one of those things where you do it and you ask for forgiveness rather than permission uh for the vast majority of cases at least and then you right. instead of forgiveness you get permission later
0: yeah and uh, I mean, YouTube's got Content ID. There's a lot of stuff that helps out, but there's always still a risk uh, if you get too success. Because I mean, all any publicity is good publicity in the eyes of some of these big firms that own a lot of the, uh, that own a lot of the media. So mm-hmm. sometimes even getting into a lawsuit, even if everybody hates them, just yeah. being noticed still helps mm-hmm. them make money. And yeah. so yeah, that's where I kind of reached a point where. I stopped doing covers. Like, I stopped recording covers and pub- I was like publishing, even just like from my when I was live streaming. But I just really didn't want to risk all of that. Uh, but I have learned more about like, you know, live streaming, like playing covers live on a streaming platform is fine. Uploading them is a different story, though. Um, yeah. But, Yeah. I think about that stuff and it's like it's the ownership, the fact that like every that it really is. It's the ownership aspect that kind of gets in the way of the flow of what could be. Like Mm -hmm. the origin of like folk songs. Like it's really hard to pin down the actual lyrics for folk songs because they were melodies that were kind of just crafted. Mm -hmm collectively and then Mm. people would just sing whatever was relevant to them in that community and so it's really really tough for us to pin down (laughs) lyrics now melody
1: is a a copyrighted thing yeah
0: exactly now people can own melodies now people can Mm. own lyrics and so but if you look back really any further than like the last hundred years or so it it gets a lot harder to pin down like Who wrote what, uh, Mm -hmm. what the actual melody might have been, what the lyrics were. And I think, and I mean, music was a big, music has been a big heart, a big part of the development of humanity in general. It's a, it's a thing that brings us together. But Mm -hmm. putting these state, these metaphysical stakes, basically, where it's like, oh, this is, this is my intellectual property and you have to work out a deal with me to use any of it. I think it really is detrimental, especially when it comes to shit like sync licensing, because as everything is going towards video, I feel like we're in a world where pretty much everyone wins. If like, in my opinion, if somebody stole my song and fucking made a video of them covering my song on YouTube, I would be
1: fucking ecstatic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it would like unless they were like, well, actually, even if they like took credit for it, because then you'd be like, hey, yeah, I yeah. heard that this guy so, didn't do this. Yeah, he stole it from me. <laughs> but yeah, like ideally, this person would be like, I'm doing a cover of this random, you know, this local act, like, you know, this guy that most people have never heard of, because <laughs> I really like his song. Yeah, like, that'd be I mean, awesome. even
0: if someone did try to take credit, it's like if if by them taking credit, they couldn't stop you from using it, then even then, it wouldn't be a big deal. Then it would just be like, oh, yeah. I made this. Ah, bullshit. You know, and it wouldn't matter. That would be a cool but, story to tell
1: like, Hey, this guy yeah, took right. my song, which is yeah. not that great, by the way. <laughs> he said it was his own. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> but yeah,
0: that that is kind of a scenario where law and... How money how we use money is very slow to adapt but creativity moves very very quickly and so the flow of mon- that you know when they get tied together it really does kind of fuck things up because like if it weren't for how slow that financial law is then the problem of sync licensing would be resolved by now you know the you can go get a mechanical license for pretty much any song from a number of different vendors and it's like it's like 15 bucks and then you got to renew it for every so many downloads or whatever but it's all just database and you're building a law that compensates for it the only reason that hasn't happened for video is because people just can't get along over like how much money they want to extract. And it's not even the artists and you, it's not the people who are writing the stuff. It's the people who then bought it and wanted to monetize it. It's that capitalist capitalizing on art and commodifying Mm -hmm. it, turning it into, into a thing.
1: And it's very much the big guy taking advantage again. Like, just as an example, like I think when I was doing the cover of bad idea forever ago, I, I was planning on making a video for that, which of course I didn't. But, and I was just like, you know, I was looking into mechanical and sync licensing. And then I, I don't remember what the record label was, but they had like, it was just like an email and i was just like, okay. Or I, I think it was a form. It was just like, a just like some sort of really basic form. Like, Oh, enter like your, the, what song you're covering the artists you're covering. And, um, uh, I guess like what I don't know if you had to describe the video, but then the 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 main thing included on the forum that I recall is this little entry where you're like what's your budget? <laughs> and I'm just like yeah zero <laughs> zero <laughs> salary dues. <laughs> so never heard back from that. Big surprise. Yeah. There. Or I probably put yeah, something but- bigger than zero. Like I don't remember what it was, but it was like some measly amount of money. 50 <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah, it takes me two minutes to look at these things. You should have given me at least $500 minimum, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's where, like, something like technology can kind of come in and fix the fix the problem. I guess that technology started in the first place, but like a platform where if I could go register my song on this platform and set a price for a sync license and then just, you know, set it and forget it basically and just sell Mm. sync licenses for my songs and just let people, you know, if you want to use it to do this thing, then it costs you this much. So fucking five bucks to have like a lifetime license to put my music in the intro, Mm. your YouTube video, I would be down to sell something like that. But it's uh, Mm. getting part of part of the problem is education. Uh, it's very, it's all nebulous and very hard to even get an understanding around how this shit works. I've started kind of, I've started like coaching some musicians who are trying to get started and publish their stuff. And they're like, I didn't know it was this complicated. And I'm like, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know why it's this complicated.
1: Um, it's very much business.
0: But yeah, I feel. yeah the money the money really takes the soul out of the art uh,
1: yeah it's because it's also it's an external incentive right so mm-hmm. kind of by default even if you've gone into it with the best of intentions like and I'm sure there, there's got to be exceptions there's always exceptions but the vast majority of cases I would wager that you know, even non-pop artists going in and making music, they go into it with like really inspired and really interesting ideas. And then they're like, okay, well now we got to make more shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had said all I wanted to say. So what do we, do we say the same thing, but a bit different, I guess. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which that's I mean, I run not, into not, a... to, not to say that that's not worth making or worth consuming. Cause you know, slight variations of the same thing you know it's got nostalgia exists for a reason right it's just just a little novel but still yeah. in my comfort zone <laughs> the new metallica album or whatever you know <laughs> yeah. i'm assuming they've been talking about the same thing for decades now i don't actually really follow their stuff but <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know they, they still have more or less the same sound that you, they've had variations certainly but yeah. Right, would be pissed mean. if it, Imagine Metallica doing trap beats. No one would listen. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> right, it would
1: be most hard of their fans to... would
0: stop. Yeah, and that's where you you can kind of get captured. I mean, you kind of can build a momentum in a certain thing, and then it can get hard to deviate from that thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, even like what we were just talking about with like money and the need to make money, kind of diluting the power of art i run into the same problem with my writing uh, you know, as a guy who i've done so i mean there's copywriting like what you and i just were talking about like copywriting a track or something and then copywriting with a w in there is uh mm-hmm. writing to persuade people mm-hmm. and i've done quite a bit of that now in the last two years from freelancing and stuff, writing landing pages product descriptions for you know people that are selling stuff and uh so as I've studied more of like writing online, writing writing as a commodity, basically, it, uh, mm-hmm. and then comparing that to how I'm writing Genesis, which mm. we... Obviously, there's a certain commodity as, aspect there too because it's meant to entertain and it has to be entertaining so I can't just shit something out. But yeah. it's very different, My the approach to writing something like Genesis compared to writing like my blog and stuff like that. And my newsletter, uh, especially on medium where Med- the way medium works, it's like YouTube for writing. So they license my work and they pay me royalties when people read yeah. it. Yeah. And, um, so writing like that, you know, I have to, I'm like a mercenary. You know, it's like trying to like front load a TikTok video to get people to watch the first three seconds instead of scrolling right past you because you're trying to get those pennies. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very, very different from writing something that you, are, you know, somebody is already interested in, like how I've been able to approach writing Genesis with Ryan and then being able to just throw yourself into it with full integrity. Uh, instead of instead of being all hook you know (laughs) captain crunch oops all hooks you know it's um when you when you are trying to win your audience and like win people over and and drag people in and get them to give you a chance in the first place the way that you construct your art is necessarily different than when Mm -hmm. you're doing it because you're going to make the best version of it that you possibly can there's always a trade-off because everything is finite there's just simply not enough time Mm
2: -hmm.
0: in life to consume all the greatest like because you look at like old books you know all those all the most influential books of like philosophy and stuff upon which we've built our entire governments our entire social system financial system like they're named shit like "On Suffering." You know, now it'd be, it's like it'd be like Mark Manson. You know, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, or you know, it's it's all yeah. and it's bright orange and it's it's got teeth and it's jumping off the shelf at you and it's
1: yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, everything's clickbait now, clickbait. Uh, well, yeah, not,
0: not you know not
1: literally, but yeah, I mean things that, that are that are intended to solely. I mean, that's. I guess that's the other irony is that a lot of the clickbaity stuff, and people are getting kind of fed up with clickbaity stuff for this reason because yeah. they know that it's just there to get you to click it. You still do it anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And then it, it, there's nothing of substance in it, right? Uh, obviously not all the time, you know, so, you know. There's plenty of good pop tracks that start with a chorus that is catchy and it's I mean, it's also a different, different vibe versus like more long-form, informative content. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely yeah. There's something. a lane.
0: There's a lane for everything. Not everything needs to be the same. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I do like the the clickbait idea, and I feel like music has sort of become clickbaited, and I feel like that's mm-hmm. kind. Of, I think that's what I'm complaining about in mm-hmm. some my feeling that like modern music is kind of watered down i guess it's kind of like when i, I went into the whole storytelling thing with james uh, i feel like a lot of the music that gets selected by the record labels to get promoted and funded with all the marketing dollars and stuff uh, i feel i feel like there isn't as much storytelling and that's where i do appreciate mm-hmm when there is proper storytelling in music i think post malone is a great example of mm-hmm. you know, being i mean he's a rapper but he's also i mean he's a bard you know he's telling stories and they're not always real ed sheeran's another great example mm-hmm. of someone who is telling stories with their music but uh you know polyphia is another example you might not know what the story is it's some hp lovecraft eldritch horror mm-hmm. story <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: It's a more uh, abstract
0: concept. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but even then, there's a story. Even if they don't know what it is, they can feel it. And mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. It's um, We are intuitive creatures. And kind of tying back to like language. Uh, language is a useful tool. I mean, incredibly useful, obviously. It's, but it is also fairly limiting because i think i i would argue that perhaps most of what we experience can't re- can't effectively be described in mm-hmm. language
1: yeah that, and depending on your particular flavor of language and your dialect just you know as a, a general pop culture example of you know the fact that english has like one word for love and i don't remember what other what other language it was? It was like German or something. It has like six or something. Yeah, Greek like, we got We have like, love, sex. Give like and love or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we all, you know, we just have these modifiers: platonic love, romantic love, uh, familial. You know, I guess that's fine. But it's, yeah, that has an impact on art, and that has an impact on our feelings. Ironically, like the way, like the way that we have, or the options that we have to communicate. Actually affects our feelings as well, um, but yeah. At the end of day, do you the think day, art is a language? I mean, I mean, it depends. It's it's conveying different things, right? I mean, it, it could be considered like iconography, right? It's like hieroglyphics, right? It's work at the at the, at the just most basic. Form, I mean, right? just
0: art, like creativity in general
1: yeah I mean it's communicating something right it's it's certainly not like terse and um you know deliberate but you know like you're saying like Polyphia can tell a story with without saying a single word and 95 percent of their songs it's uh you can still communicate through music without lyrics and and you know it doesn't even necessarily need to be a story per se. Um, you can still communicate an emotion without, you know, having like a a series of emotions. I suppose would be the an analog for a lyricless story.
0: Yeah, and like to more like art, like tangible art or. Like art, like vi- mm-hmm. visual, visual, art, yeah. yeah, visual art, yeah, yeah, yeah. that too. Um, it kind of makes me wonder, like, where is where is the line between like messaging and like art? You know, a a logo in like a Helvetica font, you know, plastered on a billboard, just black on white. What's the line between what's the line between like a a flyer announcing how much taxes you have to pay this month <laughs> <laughs> and art like hmm. like I guess it'd be hard to to pin down what the line I is I guess, guess a better question would be what are some of the differences
1: I I feel like the biggest difference or at least the first one that came to my mind is that you're trying to communicate um an experience you're like I, I ultimately your own experience because that's all you really understand or you probably understand it better than most people hopefully <laughs> i mean um you know you know like versus just like oh like a grocery list that's not our i'm communicating <laughs> what i <laughs> you know things that i want you to get uh versus like uh You know, just like having a a message where you describe your day, like, uh, yeah, I guess like even like a story where you're describing your day is, is like the, the beginning of art. Like it could be really benign, but it's, it's certainly more like, like a grocery list is purely informational and that's where art begins, I guess. And then, you know, cause that, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. I guess it kind of depends on who you share with too. Because, like, simply Mm -hmm. communicating something intimate to another person on their own, I suppose, wouldn't really necessarily be art. I don't know. It's weird. It's an interesting...
0: Yeah, because I've been really... I don't know how much of my stuff you've been reading, but I've been really kind of unpacking the idea of, like, what is a creator? And, like, that ancient myth of creation being especially of like humans being created in the image of a creator and trying to understand like why have so many people thought that i don't think i don't think that means that god has balls i think that means something more along the lines of uh like being creative you know more on like a consciousness level and then it brings in questions relating to like us creating ai and you know what's what are the similarities there but yeah I like the direction we that you kind of took that of um, part of, because I'm, I'm using art and creativity now as kind of interchange, interchangeable mm-hmm. and part of what makes something art, I would agree has something to do with who it's for mm-hmm. Uh
1: yeah yeah i mean i think like you were saying with james like you you're inherently participating with the audience Mm -hmm. so like merely having a a song that describes a very you know just like this happened and this happened like like piece for piece like like literal story about your life is sort of like maybe a little bit less artistic and then like versus like having abstract words but then that that changes depending on who you're who you're sharing that art with it's uh yeah
0: and even even telling your story even if it's literally about what you ate today like telling that mm -hmm. story there is perhaps something in common between something as simple as that Mm -hmm. and the greatest works of art that have ever been done simply just by speaking your experience Mm-mm. there's something there's a thread perhaps that runs both through that and through the David yeah so like
1: I guess like for example like James doing improv songs like and mm-hmm. people get like banana and uh, they, like literally just give him foods or something and then he like literally makes a grocery list song for example he's <laughs> yeah. still being creative it's uh-huh. it's more on the side of comedy as an art form at that point mm. Um or at least hopefully, like, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he could make something really fun out of that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but that is that is the art form, is, is the performance of coming up with something on the spot with just like these absurd, benign words um, versus something, you know, j- like sharing your own very real emotions or experience, I think can also be a, an art form. Because... Like, I guess the art there is trying to get someone to truly understand your emotions and perspective, which is insanely difficult. Um, Yeah. And then of course, on the other hand, doing um, a little bit of both where you're trying to get people to understand something that doesn't exist. You know, you get to sci-fi or fantasy or just an experience that you haven't actually had that you're actually trying to understand through the process of creation. So yeah, I guess it's I don't know. It's a lot of different ways to make art.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's maybe a an aspect of expression and vulnerability that maybe they have to be there. Art is incredibly hard to define. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'm like I'm still thinking along the lines of like a graphic designer commissioned to make a again, like a flyer announcing tax day, you know, just make it dry mm-hmm. as you know, so <laughs> yeah. um, or like me, if somebody came to me and was like, hey, can you help me think of a, I don't fucking know, um, but yeah, like a commodity, like a commodity service, this is kind of a thing, there's a lot of people in the creator space now, the creator economy, who are calling themselves creators, and they're like, I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a I'm but they're trying to sell commodity services, they're trying to sell freelance this mm-hmm. or that or whatever and they're commodifying themselves and so my argument against some of the people like that like i'm a ghostwriter for busy six-figure entrepreneurs and i'm trying to build a 10k a month revenue on twitter you probably don't encounter this quite as much as i do um, <laughs> thankfully no <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> it um, sounds terrible
0: <laughs> but yeah there's uh there's like a i feel like that's not as creative as talking about your day with like your hairdresser i feel like that i feel like even just having a conversation about your day where you're sharing maybe a little bit of yourself even in a way that's not particularly skillful mm-hmm. i feel like that's more creative yeah i, I mean i think is back
1: to the the limitations of language what make what or i guess uh, not the only thing but one of the big things that makes that a creative act is because it's so hard to truly like convey feelings and and telling like people can make really dumb stories into re- like really fun to listen to
2: mm-hmm. like
1: some people just have like this natural charisma where they can tell a story about like just like oh uh, this guy almost like crashing in my car like and turn this like just like this you know kind of like everyday thing which, you know, admittedly not fun. But then they can turn it into a whole story with maybe even like a punchline, you know, like if they turn it into a whole bit.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I like, I can't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or at least not without like planning and you know, like but I can't just like do that conversationally. And some people just have have And
0: I it. think that's kind of where the skill comes in too in practice. Uh yeah. um, even if someone is not consciously practicing their storytelling in that way if it's if they enjoy telling stories it, then yeah, they exactly. eventually might fall into a pattern of framing yeah. the stories they tell in a way that elicits a reaction that they enjoy getting you know it, it's yeah, something exactly. that i think perhaps some people can just kind of fall into yeah everything then, everything is
1: practice even conversation right even yeah even simple storytelling uh, yeah absolutely
0: uh Yeah. The creativity thing has been, I mean, it's been weighing pretty heavy on my mind recently. I've been trying to figure out, like, what does it mean to create? That's what I've really been trying to figure out. And this is pretty helpful uh, because it's, plan- it's giving me, like, new questions. Because I've been kind of thinking... That stuff like this, like I feel like what we're doing here, we're just having a conversation, but I feel Mm -hmm. like this is more creative than when I go and I write 10 ways to grow your Etsy (laughs) store for some fucking seo business
1: i have ways to reduce hair loss (laughs) (laughs) which uh, i can't even (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah, i can't even write about that with any authority or because i have experience. you gotta hire a
1: different content creator to modify your thumbnail in medium yeah. so you have yeah. hair to be reputable
0: <laughs> yeah but I can go search five ways to reduce hair loss and and find all the five best ways that Google shows me <laughs> yeah. but then I my argument is that that's not creative even though it requires skills that creators use to create their art I feel like that's not creative at least when I do it perhaps when somebody else Writes that article about hair loss, maybe it's creative for them, but I think I know
1: creativity,
0: yeah. I mean, when I'm like, trying to
1: make whatever article like moderately humorous, I mean, you know, it depends on the type of vibe, I, I suppose. Um, you know, if you're writing like a cracked article, then
2: uh, yeah,
1: I feel like it could be even then you know, there's a little bit more creativity in that than some other things, but you because know, you're also offering part of yourself, right? Uh, you, you. It's an, a more opinionated article.
0: Yeah. Even then, there's I uh, I haven't written for cracked specifically, but I mean, I've written more in the vein of like stuff where they'll be like, inject some personality, but they tell you
1: the personality that they want you to inject. And so mm-hmm. it's more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Adopt like, this other persona if you could. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's certainly, I mean, that's like being an actor and being
1: an actor is creative. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to performance art. Mm-hmm. In a sense. But when it's frozen, like a piece of writing where
0: I maybe mm-hmm. am writing as if I were somebody else. Uh, but yeah, again, like that's what fiction mm-hmm. is. So, mm-hmm. and that's creative. Uh, so I guess yeah, there's I an aspect of desire in there too. Like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if I don't want to be doing this creative thing, is it genuine creativity or is it something else?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's just, it's on a spectrum. Right. And And then I do think that, yeah, that, that motivation plays a huge part. Um, you know, if, you're, if your heart's not in it, you're not going to be as creative, right? If you're just like, oh, I'm just going to get this done with real quick. then yeah. and, and it might still result in a good end product, you know? It's just maybe you're not, like, trying lots of different interesting ways to approach it because it's just not that interesting and not worth it, you know? Like, especially if they're like, oh, adopt this persona, then it's like, Okay, well, then I guess that's the lens I go through. And this is the only way I know how to go through that lens. There's no other way for me to approach it. I don't know.
0: Do you think that creativity has to produce something?
1: I mean, it's kind of in the word Mm -hmm. create. I don't think that that necessarily needs to be a material object right I mean or even yeah. even a digital thing I don't even, I don't even think like it doesn't even need to be bits you know uh it can just be imagination yeah vibrations in the airwaves over our microphone for example like mm-hmm. you know we're creating right now we're creating ideas and, and thoughts and little emotions associated with these thoughts certainly not as visceral as someone you know talking about their deep traumas right uh, <laughs> but you know, it's still a, it's still an act of creation.
0: Yeah. What makes a conversation like this creative? Because I mean, I feel like this is creative. So,
1: yeah. I'm, yeah. I, I mean, just being out. I mean, what what is it? The whole the wilderness concept or whatever. And I, I don't read, so someone else said something on a YouTube video, and <laughs> but. You know, like once you're once you're off the path, right? Once you're off of the, uh, once you're not just like spewing tropes at each other, then, which I mean, the irony of that is I'm spewing a trope right now. Uh, <laughs> 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 when you're creating something, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, like a cool. cover song can well, be creative. Uh, true. Yeah, reiterating ideas can still be creative. I guess creativity isn't necessarily art, per se. Or because, mm. I mean, you know, this conversation, I mean, I, get, I mean, it is content. It, it is. Yeah, but <laughs> I, yeah, I wouldn't that. say
0: I wouldn't necessarily say this podcast <laughs> is art, though. Yeah. So, yeah, that I guess that is true. So creativity and art Aren't the
1: same thing. Mm-hmm. Art is like the goal of directed creativity, I suppose. Or often yeah. the goal. Well, it's a I mean, form of creativity. You I can guess. also creatively uh, create, you know, like a website that doesn't even have a user interface, you know, just like an API is still an act of creation. You still have to be creative to program. And you're kind of sort of back. Yeah, I'll cut that section out. Am I still choppy? Uh, Not choppy, but just like lower fidelity. Like the audio is good, though.
0: Audio is good. That's really the most important thing.
1: Yeah. I'll sit next to my router. (laughs) Blast. Blast with the router waves.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Because one of my big, uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of philosophizing with you now, which mm-hmm. isn't new. That's what we used to always do:
1: smoking packs of cigarettes in the car. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. I got my vape right in front of me right now. I'm trying to wean myself <laughs> off again. One of these days, yeah. so I'll beat my record of One eight of months. Days. That is a pretty that, good record. It's not a bad record. I almost had it. Yeah. I feel like next time might be the time.
0: Yeah, I'm cutting back on um, I'm cutting back on alcohol again. I'm doing, like, every three months now, I've been do- trying to do like a sober month just mm-hmm. to keep me from... Because it's so easy for me to fall into, like, I'll do a sober yeah. month, and then I'll be I'll have one drink a week for like the first two weeks. And then within two yeah. months I'm drinking it's too every day. I'm not getting two like, times. I'm not getting to the level that I used to, but
1: it creeps Yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely done a lot better. I mean, 2020 was, it's not great. I definitely, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not perfect. I've had, but I've only had like, maybe like two, like really bad hangovers this year and there was only like one and an admittedly recent like blackout incident where, you know, I was what happened? <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. wasn't which wasn't the thankfully wasn't as bad as it used to be. But yeah, it's yeah. So I'm also easing off the gas. I mean at least when when I get blackout and when I get angry like that, it's um yeah, it's like a, a multiple month long process before it gets there, and I just kind of like ignore the signs, and, yeah, reflecting on it afterwards is always interesting because how do you reflect on something that you don't remember, or at least yeah, you know the just the black part. Obviously, I can reflect on all the crap leading up to it, right? Um, you know, and I, you know, I don't know. It's a lot,
0: and I'm gonna have to study up more because I have been pretty fascinated with memory. Because, like, when you black out, it's not like you cease to exist. You're doing,
1: yeah, things. yeah. You're still, you're still, yeah. It's just like your working memory is, is gone completely, or uh, or rather, your working memory can no longer write to to episodic memory. I don't remember exactly how this works,
0: but like, it's when, an
1: excellent example of the
0: disconnect between what's real. In what we perceive. Like, I feel like there's almost mm-hmm. no better example than the fact that mm-hmm. we can do shit and not remember it. <laughs> Even though yeah, we're I mean, fully inhabiting, arguably,
1: our body in the moment that we're doing it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's like a 90 second cooldown. Uh, like, so this one time, this was years ago, thankfully, uh, I got in a fight with my buddy and while I was blackout drunk and uh, walked home. I don't know why, not important. I may have like hailed an Uber and then just like because of the inability to remember what had yeah. happened past a minute and a half ago, roughly. Then I like, just say, Where? Where am I'm just walking home, I guess. <laughs> and I just started. Walking. So, and I re- recall specifically on that walk, like, like realizing where I was multiple times. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Just this really whoa. <laughs> like, whoa, is really sweet whoa that's <laughs> kind of like yeah i mean you know like it's like every day you wake up right it's like, a, like whoa, i'm here <laughs> well even then like uh,
0: there's i'd say there's a difference between waking up and going about your day and noticing mm-hmm. what you're doing mm-hmm. yeah and why you're doing it present yeah and it's not, I mean, it's not necessarily comparable directly yeah, to being drunk.
1: Something. But, you know, as far as metaphors go, uh, you can you do a song about uh, a blackout that's actually about not being present in your own life.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is kind of an interesting idea. And, I mean, that's one of the things that I write about quite a bit. Uh but yeah, in the vein of our conversation, and still talking about creativity, do you think that working on yourself is creative, like, hmm. like working out towards a goal of like a specific fitness goal, um, or okay. building a specific fitness habit, perhaps, not even with a particular goal in mind, um, can it be creative? Not necessarily is it, can it?
1: I mean, I think even following uh, a regimented schedule can be, uh, you know, you're because you're you still have to adapt. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, as far as like working out regularly, that almost always is at least somewhat regimented.
0: Yeah, because, um, I mean, you're creating boundaries mm-hmm. for yourself at the very mm-hmm. least. But
1: that that's creative. Yeah. In a very literal sense. Yeah, and that's where it's definitely not really, uh, at least I wouldn't consider it an art form. Bodybuilding, yeah, you know, yeah, kind of yeah. goes a little bit to performance art. but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say
0: that, like, going on a run is art.
1: <laughs> it can but, still be profound, though, If, but, you know, not yeah. really because you're going on a run, but because of the thoughts that you have during said run. Yeah, and I mean, which, I think it, which it, you're not always going to have profound thoughts when you go to, run, sometimes we're thinking about. I mean, you'll be creating your plan for the next day or or mm-hmm. for the evening, right? So it's a creative, but not artistic, I guess. So we're really we're, we're really nailing home how creativity is not art. <laughs> yeah, which
0: maybe is helpful,
1: but so, I, in case anyone was wondering,
0: <laughs> they're not the same thing. Yeah. It is helpful for me because I've been trying to really, you know, I've, this is just an existential crisis type thing for me, but mm. like, uh,
1: I've been really I mean, art without creativity. That's the real, like, can you have art without creativity? I feel like that's what you're, that's you're where it really, started. Yeah.
0: that's. Uh, but yeah, I I have been specifically trying to explore creativity because I've been, I've been taking this whole, angle of like self-creation as like the the call of a person and so I've been really trying to unpack what that means and so I think that stuff like writing and art and music are they they pop into mind immediately when you think the word like creative creativity but I'm like that's too narrow that's not what creativity is so that's kind of where i've been asking myself these questions that i'm now asking you and like i'm literally learning from you and trying to figure out what creativity is that's why i said i'm like philosophizing with you because this is Mm -hmm. the thing that has been on my on my mind a ton for about two months now i've been thinking about it a lot this idea of like self-creation creating yourself it it goes beyond self-improvement i think it's more than Mm self-improvement i think it's um i mean i've talked about it like taming the wilderness and stuff like that there's like there's nothing out there and so Mm -hmm. then you go out and you you start to colonize that space with yourself and you're going to either do it on accident or you're going to do it on purpose and in my past when i've created myself accidentally that's where shit like addiction and Mm -hmm. bad relationships and stuff that's where that shit comes in because i'm going to create myself somehow yeah,
1: you're wandering around with without direction and uh, yeah you're like I'll just fall into myself which I mean there's some truth to that because you fall in a hole and you you <laughs> learn something about yourself and then you grow from that right
0: right it's creative but it's not necessarily good so I suppose creativity isn't always well it's not always uh doesn't always feel nice I suppose the end result doesn't always mm-hmm. feel nice but it you could argue that even the painful stuff is good because you learned mm. from it
1: I mean you know that's the thing like as an, just a trivial example how you and James talking about recording to a click mm. Fucking annoying <laughs> it's <laughs> painful but uh, sometimes you gotta do it, <laughs> yeah, and you don't it necessarily can be- have to like there's you got alternatives, but like depending on what you're trying to do, sometimes you gotta do that and performing live, especially like the first handfuls of times or when
2: mm. new crowd
1: new venue, you know that's is a little bit painful the first time um, but it's worth it,
0: yeah, so maybe um. Maybe it has a little, uh, like something to do with growing and like exploring a new avenue. So, like,
1: recording to a click, it's challenging. Yeah, it's it's actually it's really weird that that sort of dichotomy with novelty. Like we're novelty seeking, but not when it causes us pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want I don't, I don't want new things that make me sad, or make me feel physical pain. No, thank you.
0: Even just the absence of pleasure, like, I mean, as like a base example is like going to a restaurant and ordering something you've never tried and not hating it, just not liking it as much as the other thing that you really like. Like, that's not painful in like a literal sense of like, oh, this hurts me or even in the sense of like oh I hate this like it's not that it's gross it's just not as good as the other thing
1: that you knew you liked yeah the opportunity cost of not having a cheesy gritty to crunch and crunch wraps cream (laughs) right now is actually literally (laughs) killing me (laughs) (laughs) I need my Baja blast this is a crisis water hurts my soul
0: (laughs) And then there's also, I mean, there's the aspect of like learning to love what's plain can be good for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's very, you know, stimulation seeking, right? And uh,
0: stimulation theory.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, gotta gotta binge watch my shows. We'll never be able to watch all the shows. It's yeah. physically impossible. You can put on like 20 screens if you want. Like, go ahead, try. You'll never finish everything. Yeah. And even if you did, you would have no comprehension of any of it.
0: Yeah. Because then you run into the immersion problem again. You know, if you're not, and even that's like memory, not, you know, even if present. you're, yeah. If, so if you're not there, is it really happening it is but it isn't you're not
1: experiencing it yeah and to me that's uh, a little bit of a tangent it kind of reminds me of like um social anxiety the song no i mean just in general like social anxiety like I, i don't know how much you've experienced this sort of thing but like you know like when i'm talking to a new person the i get in my own head about like what they're thinking of me or, or, mm. you know, I'm just daydreaming about like what, or maybe I'm like over analyzing what I think of them. And then I'm not just like having a discussion like this, you know? And then, so I'm not present.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm in my own
1: head. I'm stuck in my head.
0: And then yeah, I get anxious else.
1: about, oh shit, I, I missed what they said. and I'm pretty sure it was important. Oh, they're waiting for me to respond. Fuck. Uh, smile and nod, you know. Little... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. It's... Or, or, I mean, at, at this point you know i better copes where i'd be like sorry i legitimately spaced out entirely about the last thing you said can you start from there again (laughs) but like you know you got to learn from the pain of that experience Mm -hmm. to just do that basic thing or at least i did because i'm you know introverted and bad at socializing (laughs) or traditionally have have been
0: yeah i've um I've had similar problems. Not I'm more extroverted than you, but I have had my challenges as well. And actually COVID made it worse. Mm-hmm. Like at least early COVID, you know, I was still in the house with you guys, and so I still got plenty of socialization. So that was that was different. It was really when I moved here when my dad was in the hospital. And mm-hmm. then I basically spent like a whole year in isolation Uh, then I went back out into the world and got like a job at the grocery store and everything and uh, it was was kind of terrifying to get out in the world around people again it was it was weird because like it was a job that I had worked before (laughs) and I mean I've been on stages you know but then going And working at a grocery store with a team of, like, 12 people was, like, really intimidating to me. It's really strange. Uh, And then also, like, you know, I've been with Amanda for more than two years now. Uh, You know, I don't get nervous with her or anything. You know, I know her to a certain extent. You could even argue that we're now in part creating each other through how Mm -hmm. much we are part of each other's lives. Um but then I compare like my relationship with her and getting to know her to like (laughs) I remember one time when I worked at Publix in Tampa a long time ago, uh there was a girl I had a crush on and one day I finally worked up the courage to go to the time clock and ask her to go on a date. And I was literally fucking shaking. I poured coffee on myself. (laughs) I like couldn't talk. (laughs) And like now, like, I mean, obviously I never really run into that problem with Amanda, uh, but in general, like the idea of being that intimidated by anyone, in general, like even like a job interview, like now I just got this new job at the college. And like, I had no trepidation going into the interview. And it was one of the more intense interviews that I've ever been with, because I was getting interviewed by multiple college faculty and stuff like that. Uh, But I wasn't nervous. But then, you know, I was, shaking and dumped coffee on myself to ask some fucking 20-year-old girl to get a <laughs> to go to a coffee shop with me.
1: <laughs> yeah. I need to get a new coffee. I dumped this one on myself. Yeah. That's what I should have you said. You want to come with me?
0: <laughs> uh, or you know, be you having a little bit of nervousness of like, uh am I gonna be able to fucking stock shelves again with all, with people <laughs> you know? i like to see her again
1: <laughs> it's kind of and different. i mean
0: it, yeah different <laughs> different times different cities um but yeah it it is kind of weird um it's social anxiety i don't spend a lot of time thinking about anxiety um mm-hmm. about like I guess I mean sometimes I do, I think of it more of like a from a stoic perspective like a classical stoic perspective um, where I think of anxiety as wanting to control things that are out of your control, and I guess I still kind of stand by that because um, like, for example, you are know, going into the interview for the college, I think a large part of why I wasn't anxious in there wasn't necessarily because i felt highly qualified and like everything was going to go my way i really just i kind of just didn't care like i was like i am interested in where this can lead i would like it to go somewhere yeah but my sense of self worth my identity is not at all attached to the outcome of this situation mm-hmm. and that is very different from when i was 22 and i was asking Everything a pretty is girl out so
1: important like my whole future is at stake yeah. this could be my wife yeah <laughs> not that serious bro yeah not that serious and i mean, <laughs> I mean other times i mean but it's you do you know, cuz you do run into like those a lot of really big decisions when you're i mean like at least i mean depending on how much you care about college I mean really at the end of the day it's you're gonna have more opportunities to go back to school you're literally going back to school yeah but you know it's a really big decision and you got you know it's maybe not as big as you know getting married uh, <laughs> but it's certainly bigger than you know asking your random girl on a date mm-hmm. so it's like but we don't have like a ton of exposure to those big decisions really. You know, like that's like one of the earliest really big decisions that, you know, have to make, but stereotypically, (laughs) you know, at least most, most of our parent or like our generation's parents would have been like, you got to go to college.
0: Yeah. 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 I've got, I've kind of flip-flopped on my ideas about college. You know, I only even went to college because I was supposed to, and I really Mm -hmm. didn't know why I was there. And then while I was there, you know, I was an, edu- an education major and then I didn't really want to do that. And so I shifted into communication and because it was just the only thing that I was interested in, it didn't lead directly into any career paths. I regretted it for a long time, but now mm-hmm. looking back at it, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that I did like a mm-hmm. liberal arts degree instead of just like learning a specific skill mm-hmm. uh, just personally, because yeah. A lot of it, it planted the seeds largely for what I ended up becoming, which is this weird person that I am now. Um, and I mean, maybe if I had done like a STEM thing, I would have been just as happy. I don't
1: necessarily know, but yeah, I don't I mean, regret. I mean, that's the thing, like, because you can be grateful for your choices. Mm-hmm. I feel, I mean, you, you can always glean something from it because there's a reason you made whatever choice you made, right? Like, if I went into like HVAC trade school or something, I'm sure I would still like. You know have a decent job and i'd be like well i'm grateful for myself that i did that because i had less school and i'm and i'm i'm using my hands at work so i don't have to like work out when i get home right or well now i think i mean work from home real game changer because now i just work out from home right <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, so
0: like
1: all the time i save on that commute i can just exercise now
0: yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. although
1: You know, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, with the autonomy to do all that, you can also, for example, in 2020, day drink too much.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: But that was the eight months that I didn't uh, vape. which That's kind of like one of my biggest fears about quitting again is that I'm going to overcompensate with other bad habits. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm just like, I'm just going to get rid of the other bad habits for now. Coast with the vaping, you know, just wean myself off of it, and then eventually go cold turkey once it's basically already like, you know, hardly using it, mm-hmm. and then it'll be like a week of pain, and then of maybe a vague sense of, you know, because there's like a little bit of depression that kind of lasts for like most of those months. Like, a, like the the cravings don't ever really go away, you know.
0: Yeah, I've noticed it too. I mean, every time I see a cigarette, I want one. Yeah.
1: Actually, I think vaping has deconverted me a little bit from cigarettes specifically. I've because i like fun cigarettes off of people. Like because I was like, oh yeah, I want that. And then, like, unless it's like my brand, I'm just like, this fucking sucks. I'm just going to do my vape. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. This fruity pineapple vape. Hell yeah, yeah this is <laughs> yeah. great. It's literally more nicotine. Like, which, yeah, again, double edged swords. But Uh, you know, so like effectively I have been more addicted to nicotine in recent years since switching to vaping. However, I was like a month ago, I ran an eight minute, 22nd mile. So pretty sure I couldn't have done that if I was smoking cigarettes. I would have had cramps. It would have been a 10 minute mile. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not coughing up brown phlegm every morning. (laughs) there there is an overproduction of mucus because you know it's drying my throat out Mm -hmm. but it's uh i'm pretty sure it's not as bad yeah not certain yeah i mean you're not inhaling smoke (laughs) i'm I'm certainly not going or less likely to get lung cancer yeah Um, you know what what am i doing to my mind who knows uh, nothing good I'm, I'm sure but you know people do like 400 milligrams of caffeine so I do 400 milligrams every day yeah so it I mean I don't I don't really and, and the other irony of, of this whole um, you know nicotine and smoking thing is that if you try to Google like oh what are the mental effects of nicotine you'll find a billion things going back to our articles about smoking -hmm. And it destroys your brain because Mm -hmm. of all the fucking literal poisons in it. Uh, Apart from nicotine, talking wrong, not saying nicotine is good. I'm just saying that is a very small piece of that disgusting pie uh, when it comes to cigarettes. Whereas you know, with with vaping, it's um, propylene glycol and vegetable Mm -hmm. glycerin. I don't remember exactly what it is, but the it's mostly literally just water vapor and carbon dioxide. Um, there's definitely a trace amounts of other chemicals in there, which you know, definitely don't vape, kids. Yeah. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Because I don't, you, I if don't, you ever quit vaping, you'll just want to vape. Yeah. Always. <laughs> yeah. You'll never not want to vape. It'll just be easier to be like, no, I don't need it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I kind of I'd like to kind of talk about vaping uh, because so just about like what draws you to it. If you don't mind, I don't want it to be like a weird thing, uh, mm-hmm. but I'll start with like caffeine for me. You know, I've been a caffeine junkie for most of my life. I take two doses of Celsius every day. Now I take one when I wake up and I take one about four or five hours after I wake up. They're each 200 milligrams. And then I might also throw like a, espresso or double espresso somewhere in my day so i'm that's a lot of uh, caffeine yeah. yeah i'm having a lot of caffeine so um
1: yeah i think like- the or one of my big rationalization things um you know apart, apart from the fact that you know it's not smoking and you know i've, I've... people do your own research it's not the fucking same thing <laughs> but um yeah, the big, the big difference between caffeine and nicotine that I've noticed for me and I've researched, you know, because in order to rationalize vaping versus smoking, I had Mm -hmm. to do a lot of research, uh, is that caffeine blocks adenosine receptors, which Mm -hmm. are your body's natural way or one of your body's natural ways of getting tired. Um, so if I have caffeine, like I, I pretty much have a hard cutoff at 3 PM. Um, like I'll make exceptions, especially on weekends, but Especially, like, Monday through Thursday, I'm just, mm-hmm. like, if I have it after 3, I will not sleep. I will ruin my whole tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's, like, a, you know, maybe a green tea because it's, like, 30 milligrams or less. Like, that's fine. But, you know, I can't, can't even do a coffee. Can't even do 90. Um, so, and then nicotine allows me to compensate and still get a lot of dopamine throughout the day, which, unfortunately, is... Really, really necessary for working memory and basic executive function, um, especially for me because I have ADHD. So I have essentially chronically low dopamine, which of course makes quitting even harder for me mm-hmm. because now I'm going to bounce further back the other way and have basically no, you know, basically I need to take a week off of work if when I do quit um, mm-hmm. or Find other ways to get dopamine. So up my caffeine probably would be the first thing I would do. Um, and probably what I'll do is wean myself off of caffeine like caffeine, you know, no alcohol, no caffeine, no THC, no other dopamine triggers whatsoever. And then, you know, when I have my quit date, I'm off the, I'm off nicotine, I'm not getting dopamine from that, then I will compensate with caffeine again just to get through the work day. I'll still feel mm-hmm. the crap. Um, but, you know, do like three months of that and then start leveling that back down to a normal amount of caffeine. You know, just like I like to aim between like 100 and I mean, really, I like to aim for 100, definitely under 200 milligrams of caffeine. Otherwise, because the, the other thing is the half life of caffeine is eight hours. And the half life of nicotine, I think, is two hours. So and that's why people need constant cigarette breaks. Right. Um mm-hmm. Because they're just they feel that craving two hours later, um, they're like I'm not I'm not where I want to be. Um, caffeine, well, you know you you, you have an eight hour workday, right? Half of it is still in your system at the end of your workday if you only have it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So if I have more at three p.m. than eight hours later it's eleven p.m. still half of that caffeine is blocking adenosine and making it harder to get to sleep. So that's the biggest, um, I guess, reason that I, well, it's, it's nicotine super addictive. <laughs> yeah. One of the biggest reasons that I still use, I'm very much self-medicating my ADD, and, and, yeah, not saying that's the, a great thing, not saying I couldn't find a medication for this, but I've, my like, I asked my therapist to recommend a psychiatrist, and he was just like, "Well, I can recommend a nurse practitioner that doesn't prescribe stuff normally. <laughs> I specifically want to see what prescription options there are. Yeah. Either for at least for smoking cessation, you know, mm-hmm. um, if not for ADHD. Um. But yeah. I, I, I lost the original thread at this point because of rambling about caffeine and nicotine.
0: No, I mean that was <laughs> that was fascinating. I mean that's kind of why I was asking is because I want to learn. Uh, I'm especially curious about like the the active vaping, the the tactile experience, the feeling, the visible experience, the flavor. How much do you think that stuff plays? Into it as well, like for example, with me with my caffeine, I could take two hundred milligram caffeine pills. pills yeah. but satisfying.
1: Yeah, they are, are also um, like so in coffee and tea, there are also antioxidants, so they're actually good for you. Um, yeah, and I drink
0: Celsius is green tea based, and it has B and C in it and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So. Uh, And I take it with liquid IV, which actually the electrolytes, I think, are far more helpful to me. And I'll take those more throughout the day than I will Mm. caffeine, Um, especially since I eat, you know, I'm still doing the animal based thing. So I don't Mm. get I don't eat processed food. So I don't get salt in my food unless I add it. Yeah. Um, So the electrolytes have been extremely helpful to me. But yeah, like I bought caffeine pills once and I took a few, not like at once, but. <laughs> and
1: I popped the whole case, yeah. all two grams.
0: Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but yeah, I just never switched because, uh, at least for me, part of the, part of it is the ritual of it. And I think part of it is okay. also the flavor. That is
1: a huge, huge factor. Yeah. I watched this video about, um, what, yeah, there's this, um, like the anti-vaping campaigns and, and pro-vaping campaigns are targeting different audiences. Like I can't remember the exact video, but it was, I think it came out. Well, that's probably older than I think it is. I don't know. Anyway, the, the pretty much the summary was that yeah, obviously we don't want, you know, children vaping. We don't like it's nicotine negatively impacts your brain development. This is what should be in the fucking ads, by the way, mm-hmm, <laughs> your brain yeah. is literally yeah. still developing well into your twenties Probably until you're like 30, really, it's still, I mean, you know, neuroplasticity aside, you, your brain can always change, but like you, your brain is literally still growing uh, until you're in your mid-20s. Um, and that's you know, that's pretty much when your peak learning ability is uh, rough, roughly, obviously, everyone's mileage will vary. And things like THC, nicotine, alcohol, especially abusing these heavily, mm-hmm. um, you know, in your teen years, has negative predictors for your IQ and your performance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it literally fucks with your brain development. Um, so obviously, we want anti-vaping campaigns because vaping is super accessible. So one of the big things they did, which I actually agree with, was making um, vaping and or cigarettes only accessible to twenty-one-year-olds because mm. we can't we can't have high school seniors. No supplying. Other kids with nicotine. It's terrible. Yeah. It's, however, the other big, huge part of this that it, I think is really neglected these days with, because, like, you know, the children are our future. We, we want to focus more on that. Fair. I get it. But there's a huge portion of the population that is still smoking cigarettes and is still addicted to nicotine. And now mm-hmm. they're getting misinformation by these literal propaganda ads saying that, you know, like you're vape vaping it's or nicotine itself is poisoning you and or vaping itself is poisoning you and and, and and killing you and so so basically adults see this and they go oh so vaping is terrible so i shouldn't vape and they keep smoking cigarettes yeah which is so much worse. it is so much worse mm-hmm. um not saying people should vape, just saying if you smoke cigarettes holy shit, switch um and yeah because they had like this data about how because vaping at least has like the the literal physical habit of of inhalation and also because of the inhalation has a faster nicotinic delivery it is so much more effective as a replacement uh versus lozenges gum the patch name it um nothing else works as quickly so nothing else and nothing else simulates it the same way it's definitely a different thing it's definitely a different flavor um but these days like 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 i said at this point depending on the vape that you get like some of them were terrible and taste like crap and hit different parts of your throat and feel feel bad uh, especially when you are still smoking cigarettes and everything feels terrible uh, mm-hmm. like you've just gotten used to the very specific sensation of smoking cigarettes um yeah, like once you, nowadays the vape flavors and the vape liquids are way softer, way tastier. Like, although I think there is something just a little aside here that there is like an element of masculinity attached to uh, smoking. You know? Yeah. A, a literal toxic masculine
0: trait.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are literally killing yourself for masculinity, you idiot. <laughs>
0: Another example is um, it's actually funny that you bring that up. Another example is like beer being like the man drink mm. compared to like wine,
1: which literally has more alcohol. Yeah,
0: yeah, wine has more alcohol <laughs> and less calories. Beer makes you fucking fat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it and, I mean, suppresses wine your can testosterone too. more
1: because of that. Yeah, <laughs> you're literally less manly as a result of drinking beer.
0: But yeah, it's interesting because <laughs> I mean now that I definitely know i can't do like gluten um uh, i've had to basically switch just to wine It's it's funny because i live in a small town and i mean it, it, i don't care like how people perceive it but mm-hmm. um, it's fun like i'll talk to people and they're like anti-wine because it's like and it's not even always a feminine thing it's also kind of i think people mm-hmm. think that like People who drink wine or snobs and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's it's the a class other thing. thing also, yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, it is kinda interesting that beer is like the man's drink when it's so fucking bad for you. <laughs> but I do miss it. It's um it is really tasty. I miss bread.
1: <laughs> bread is so good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't
1: really have I don't like actively try to avoid gluten, but I do. I do take it into consideration these days whenever I get something. Just like, do I really want to start the day with a bunch of bread? (laughs) Like Like, like two slices of toast. If it's whole grain, yeah, sure, I guess. Um, But
0: yeah, (laughs) I maybe maybe people develop more sensitivity to it when they get older. I think it's always been a problem for me because throughout my life i've always had like a bad stomach i was notorious Mm. for like throwing up after i ate breakfast and what is breakfast in america it's fucking toast yeah and so anytime that i ate like eggs and toast and then now i'm realizing that i I have like actual problems i don't know what they are Mm. but it's gotten to the point where like if i eat something wrong i'm going to find out just how bad the decision was usually without about within about half an hour <laughs> so i have to make yeah. sure that if i I'm feel like go eat
1: in anywhere that there's gonna be a bath yeah <laughs> like so where
0: it's gotten for me
1: yeah i guess a couple things so my concern for me personally at least with with a meat-based diet would be the lack of roughage and the lack of Carbs and fiber, uh, not because because carbs also help cushion the blow um, to the to the to the digestion tract. And then the other the other element of it is that caffeine. I don't think is actually as much of a diuretic as people lead on. Coffee, though, yeah, literally gives you the shits.
0: Yeah, I don't really drink coffee anymore, yeah. kind of partly for that reason. Also, I just don't like it as much as like I love it yeah because uh, i mean i would just drink it black i don't add anything to it and i mean i did i do enjoy the taste of it every once in a while but i like acid i've found like i like i like acidic wines
1: i like acidic beverages i like acidic we're like, we're like opposites <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, like so i have like a cold brew like concentrate coffee it's like twice as like you know like if you have a four ounce pour that's an mm-hmm. eight ounce serving right so you add water or what I do, because screw adding water. I just add a little bit of the like hazelnut coffee, mate, just a little bit, mm-hmm. just not sweeten the deal. And then I just top the rest off with milk. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I just do whole I mean, I'm, I get a little bougie with it. I, I do like whole like grass fed milk, because there's evidence to support that grass fed, you know? Eh, oh,
0: no. Yeah, no, I mean, I supposedly way
1: healthier um, uh, dairy products. And mm, also yeah meat, get that also dha um, yeah. what what you don't want is grass-fed chickens uh, uh yeah eat. i don't really eat chicken because yeah, based on my I don't needs remember what their diet is supposed to be but don't do grass-fed chickens i don't i don't think that's a thing but like they have a, a, a broad range of, like they eat they're these scavengers fruits. Yeah. yeah they eat a whole bunch of stuff so like if there's any specific diet like you have like a vegan chicken though no, that's not Thing. Yeah, no, chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't advocate like
0: I don't advocate a meat-based diet for people. It's I did it as a crazy experiment, yeah. and, and it cleared up a lot of yeah, kind out. of recurring lifetime issues that I have. Mm-hmm, but, and um, even yeah. then, I'm still experimenting with it. Like I've added, I can eat citrus, and so I don't eat like a ton of it because I get plenty. Like I take it with supplements and stuff. I get plenty of vitamin C. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not really a problem, but I do enjoy having it here and there. Actually, it's one of the things I add to my coffee when I drink coffee. A lot of times I put grapefruit juice in it, <laughs> <laughs> which is the complete I, opposite of you.
1: I really feel like, I mean, I feel like coffee and orange juice actually could be kind of good, but I feel like I would get it. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe I wouldn't get heartburn first thing in the morning. So I don't know.
0: I started with orange juice, and then I switched to grapefruit juice because it's more bitter, and I like that. (laughs) Bitter, bitch. (laughs) But, yeah, the reason I had asked, uh, you know, we got way off, is just because I was curious about, like, using a, a nicotine patch versus vaping, but... um. (laughs)
1: I've actually never used a nicotine patch I'd be curious to try it especially for you know when I'm getting closer to the point of ceasing just to get over the physical habit right yeah Um, because I mean I'm not opposed you know
0: yeah I'm not opposed to the idea of like using chemicals to augment our abilities Mm -hmm. in certain circumstances you know that's what we that's why we use caffeine it's an augmentation and there's a there are arguments in fate that I would agree with in favor of like, I mean, wine can kind of lubricate them, not just wine, but out alcohol yeah. can kind of loosen you up, lubricate the mind. And sometimes it can be useful. Yeah. I would say you could make the same argument for nicotine and stuff like that. It can be useful. And so a different delivery method maybe could be, uh, could get the job done without some of the more addictive elements, uh, kind of like eating your vegetables you know i mean not for me but for a normal person
1: Normal <laughs> <our laughs> person who can digest all the vegetables
0: yeah yeah i just uh we just shipped out an allergy test so i can get more conclusive oh, nice. results nice
1: yeah i've been thinking about doing that because i really feel yeah. like i just randomly get bouts of you know bowel issues and i'm just like i i ate healthy why is this happening yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, i was doing so good what is this what is this crap? Um, but yeah, I don't know. Health is a. I mean, it's we have so much more control over this these days than we used to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's so nice. Oh, really? Really brief. Uh, going back to the nicotine, just real quick to to put another little cautionary tale. These vapes, these vapes, the ones that taste good, they're the worst. Uh, they are the highest concentration of nicotine salt nicotine Mm. if you're doing salt nicotine it is so much nicotine and you will feel the effects of withdrawal in that like half-life period you know two hours later you'll be like why do i hate everything Hmm. um because it's so potent um so and and the reason that's important is because with a lot of these vapes there are no alternatives other than the 5%. So 5% is 50 milligrams per milliliter. There are usually four to eight milliliters in a given vape. And depending on how compulsive you are with the physical act, that could last anywhere from a week down to two days, Um, which don't do the math on that. I've done it for you. Uh, I'm probably going to round down, actually. I'm not going to do the math right now. But it's, you know, it's literally like a carton of cigarettes. Oh, man. <laughs> but just the nicotine, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, You know, to, yet again, it depends on the base. But, yeah, because they don't have these smaller amounts. Now what I'm doing to wean myself off of these, because I've you know, grown accustomed to these, is I literally just have, like, a little lockbox thing that I put them in. and and i just go hour and a half no vaping (laughs) yeah (laughs) just can't compulsively do it and then i you know just get used to not vaping constantly you know let half of the nicotine almost half of the nicotine in, in my body at that time leave my system um so that's been my my current shaky strategy for ramping down is just gradually increasing that amount of time or the amount of times that i lock it up lock it up and i have also as a result become more aware of just how compulsive i am with it if it's just on the desk you know
0: yeah i mean i've noticed i've had the same thing like if i want to not check my fucking notifications and like, and I start to notice how often I fuck even just like look at my phone and then I'll notice like when I delete all the apps, cause every couple months I'll, i just delete them all just to get them cleared out. And then I'll notice like how often I'm reaching for my phone and I'm like, I don't even notice how often I do this mm-hmm. like under normal circumstances. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, yeah it's, it's like creating a new habit is really the only way to go, like making a habit of not doing. Yeah. It.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think like what you and James were saying, replacement with a positive addiction is almost always better, is almost always the best way to really break a bad habit. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you do when you can vape literally anywhere? And there's nothing to replace that exact habit. I mean, So then, you know, try to treat the neurochemical differences, uh, or at least that's what I would do, you know. So start exercising more, up Mm -hmm. caffeine, and then you get more natural dopamine from healthy exercise. You get more dopamine from caffeine, which is at least socially acceptable. Who knows about the negative long-term health consequences of having way too much caffeine. It doesn't matter. Um, It's certainly got to be better than literally vaping something. (laughs) <laughs> however I mean you know stomach, I mean maybe stomach cancer is also a thing who knows I have, yeah I have no, no idea about caffeine I haven't really researched it because no one cares it's no one has been like caffeine is terrible for you so since I, I mean there I are
0: know. actually a lot of arguments against caffeine in more like health thinking communities because it it yeah. is Like we think of it as more natural because we drink it from, but I mean, if you drank a fucking cup of ayahuasca, you know, that's, (laughs) that's natural. (laughs) (laughs) Cocaine. That's natural. I mean, that's the thing we've, we've
1: processed the caffeine so much Mm -hmm. already, even if, even in coffee beans, it's literally, you just process the bean into a little fine powder and then (laughs) you pressed use a bunch of heat and water. Yeah. (laughs) like an alien species it looks like we're doing heroin just like yeah. the spoon <laughs> right now I don't know how to do heroin I just assume that's how they do it
0: I, I've seen in movies
1: yeah someone heated up a spoon I'm pretty sure that was heroin
0: yeah I think so got
1: him yeah addictions are so interesting and and I, actually I'm just gonna ramble more about addictions I think that we give our a lot of our addictions too much power with shame. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we beat ourselves up with them, and then we make it harder. You know, we're. I'm not saying we're making a mountain out of a molehill. Like, addictions are real, terrible issues. Some some more than others. You know, like, porn is its own addiction versus a literal chemical dependence on nicotine. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely porn's not great to do all the time. You know, I'm not really gonna make a huge judgment call about it. I mean, obviously I watch porn because I'm cool. I don't <laughs> believe in God. Yeah. <laughs> and if he is watching me, he's a voyeur. <laughs> so, he's watching porn. Yeah. <laughs> um sure, what was I saying? Um but yeah, I, I think we we really give our addictions a lot more power than they really have.
0: Mm-hmm. We like, make them part of our identity. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's
1: what shame does.
0: I've uh, I've been talking about this a lot recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, shame and like the word, the word should are terrible motivators. They're mm-hmm. not effective to get you to actually like. I should be doing this. Yeah. Is not really an effective way to get yourself to start doing this. Yeah. And often I mean it does kind of turn what could what is what is often a very simple thing of like just doing a thing or not doing a thing. Mm-hmm. But then the should just creates friction. Yeah. Because then
1: then there's yeah, a definition. We, yeah, we want to we wanna procrastinate more because <laughs> We're avoiding this, yeah. The and negative a, feeling, like I don't know. It's it's weird.
0: There's um, there's something about I think like the word "should," where you draw a div- a dividing line between who you are right now and what you should be, as opposed mm-hmm. to like, for example, before I even really achieved any amount of success in writing, I decided to start calling myself a writer, even though I hadn't earned it Mm -hmm. and by just calling myself the thing that I wanted to be it made it so much easier to even just start doing it Uh, uh, as opposed to like calling myself like someone who wants to be
1: a writer an aspiring writer or an amateur writer or whatever you don't need all these modifiers. If you write, you're a writer. Like, I guess the difference between a writer and a professional writer might be whether or not you've been paid. But like, who cares? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Why does that matter? <laughs> exactly. That's the money is not what makes like, you a writer. Yeah. Is here? Write me. Write me a, a grocery list. I'll give you a dollar. Boom. You're <laughs> a professional writer. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and in We're fact, professional musicians. <laughs> We've <been> yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I um I feel more like a writer when I'm writing my own shit for free, than when I'm commodifying myself as a writer for pay. Uh, not all you know, that's not always the case. Like I have written stuff for pay that I enjoy writing, uh, but that intersection is kind of a rarity compared to <laughs> either being commodified and not really feeling like I'm a right like I'm authentically a writer and then being in the zone and doing something that I'm not getting paid for. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Art.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Creation. But yeah,
0: I think that shame we um, it kind of ties into control too. Like addictions are hard to deal with. Uh, becoming yourself, creating yourself is hard. And there's a lot about being a human that is completely out of our control. And I think that at least looking inward at myself and how I've used shame in my past, I think that shame is a way that we assert control of some kind over Mm -hmm this over what's happening in our head and it's a very bad control. It's a control of, um, you know, of, of abusing yourself and you, at least you're doing something, you know, at least if you're shaming yourself for not being what you should be, at least you're doing something. Yeah.
1: Uh, and yeah, the shame is like the universe. <laughs> the shame that you're punishing yourself with is like the universe punishing you for your bad deeds or whatever. Right. It it feels like justice, but really you're just wallowing. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, feel guilt, but yeah, like you got to grow from it. Shame isn't growth.
0: Yeah. And I I don't think that guilt is the same as shame. Like someone can be Mm -hmm. guilty Mm -hmm. without feeling ashamed for it. And I think that someone can feel guilty, like feel like what they've done is wrong, but not necessarily feel shame. Yeah, someone someone can say like, "Yeah, you're right. I did that, and I wish I hadn't." Mm -hmm. But it's still not quite the same. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, it's like um, it's almost like the difference between just like someone who's accountable. I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess the person who's shameful is feels an accountability. Well, I don't know, because that's like a communication thing, really.
0: Hmm. I think part of part of shame is that there maybe there's a little re- bit of resistance in there, like mm-hmm. owning a, owning up to your shit, and like mm-hmm. admitting guilt without yes. shame, uh, compared to like shame is like you want to hide it, you don't really want to face yeah.
1: it. Yeah, yeah. I think that is definitely the. yeah
0: yeah because like the the i I don't know the best way to put it but like the escape the solution the solution to guilt is mercy forgiveness Mm -hmm. but what is the solution to shame I guess it would be acceptance. Mm-hmm. And then I guess you can transmute mm-hmm. it into guilt and then you can forgive yourself. I don't know. I guess I don't, I guess I don't
1: have like a really vivid picture of shame apart from, you know, the the song I wrote about. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which was
1: to me a very specific, uh, more, more emotions and more experiences mm-hmm. than... Can be summarized by that single word but that's kind of what i've attributed it to and for for that which was arguably the darkest time in my life where i was you know utterly isolated and felt deep shame for essentially a really traumatic codependent toxic i was i was shitty and my other my partner was shitty type of situation um and then i just had no friends like push my friends away or just didn't talk to them and just didn't keep up with them. And like sort of like, didn't feel worthy of having friends. I don't know. It's like, whatever the reasons, like also just like literally just so depressed that I didn't want to like go out and hang out, you know, like, like, um, so yeah. And that's like the only way out is through, um, Mm -hmm. which is like a really dumb cliche way of saying that eventually, you got to be just not depressed enough to go and socialize like right because what makes that shame persist is yeah the part partly that no one else knows mm-hmm. like what that experience is so you're just like you're wallowing in it and also you know not having a physical connection or or you know emotional connection rather with another person uh allows you to continue wallowing
0: yeah. And actually uh, you bring up a good point with the whole depression thing too, because it is a real burden, but it is also something that you, you have to escape from it yourself. There, You can't yeah. be, you can't be pulled out of it. You have to escape from it, but it is kind of a situation where like the stars have to align and you have to be just not depressed enough to go take a risk. And then mm-hmm. it has to not suck yeah. or you're going to, fall back in.
1: Although going all the way back to the very beginning of the conversation when we were talking about how we're hyper individualistic if I had like a live-in support network or if I had like supportive people at work like don't get me wrong like if I because I you know I I hit it you know I was high functioning depressed I still went to work I still did my job Mm -hmm. so I'm not saying that but like you know if I had like really like, more intimate relationships with people that knew me, and, like, especially if I lived with them, right? Then they'd be like, well, he's obviously depressed. Um, how can we help him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, not to say that they necessarily could, you
0: know? Even then, that's not always true, uh, because I mean, being being a person is hard, and going and being and helping someone else
2: mm-hmm. It's
0: not me- their responsibility,
1: 100%, but
0: and it's not even just that it's just it's well yeah i guess it's not the responsibility um but i mean i know like back cuz we were both going through pretty rough times when we met and we were able to help each other yeah and um uh, but that really was kind of one of those situations where it was like the stars aligned for me just right where I decided to take a risk and put myself out there, you know, mm-hmm. in in an environment that I felt safe enough to put myself out there. And that time, I got rewarded. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it is it totally would have been possible that I could have put myself out there and gotten fucked over mm-hmm. uh, just by a roll of the dice, and then that would have just spun me back into the shame and then yeah. or into the into the depression and then it's like it's not my fault like you know I did try yeah and yeah. I got burned and so that's where it really is a challenge where it's like it's both something that people do have to pull themselves out of but like there is a certain amount of depression that is out of I mean, the control of the depressed person yeah
1: i mean well so like Cause there's many different ways to get depressed. Right. So like, I think that like that shameful depression in particular is some, that's that's the worst I've ever had. That's the worst. Because you know that there is something wrong with you you, you, or, or something that something about yourself that needs to grow. Right. Mm -hmm. But you don't really know what, and you don't, or like you, without getting back out there and like, Hanging out with other people you're that's not going to reveal itself to you right you're not like you know you can overanalyze things but like eventually you're going to run out of ideas about ways to grow and you're going to need need to put those practices about like how you can go about dealing with relationships into real relationship practice right mm-hmm. um, this you know this is getting really specific with the type of shame but i mean shame i feel like shame always has something to do with a relationship you know, hmm. I guess it could even be like a. It's always it's, like, cause it's gotta be like another living thing. Well, it could also be like an ideological relationship, like a relationship with yeah. some sort of entity.
0: Or like a, even a nostalgic item. Like, let's say you have a fucking like fragile ornament that you're dead mom gave you and then one day you're you get mad and you fucking throw some shit and you accidentally knock that thing off Mm. and then you feel ashamed Mm. that you broke this inanimate object but like there is still a relationship
1: yeah see this is why you're the writer (laughs) (laughs) Uh oh
0: so yeah you raise a good point um Shame probably does have a lot to do. I guess there's a there's a violation
1: um, of a boundary that yeah, and that could be a boundary with yourself exactly yeah, and yeah. which honestly those are the most important boundaries mm-hmm like. <laughs> if you can't enforce a boundary with yourself how are you going to oh. enforce it with someone else in the same way that if you can't even love yourself how are you going to love somebody else Like, mm. thanks RuPaul <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <It's> seriously <laughs> like, uh, it, it all starts with yourself so there is something to that that critically uh, in that, in that hyper independent because yeah, you got to take care of yourself first
0: Right. You can't be of service to the people around you if you aren't taking care of yourself. And that's where I think there is, it's a balance. You have to do a little bit of both. You have to take care of yourself and you have to set yourself aside for the sake of the community. You have to find a balance between the two things. Uh, That's hard and you're going to be wrong a lot at least i will and am <laughs> uh, i'm never wrong actually yeah. <laughs> that's
1: very fortunate
0: <laughs>
1: i'm working on being wrong more often actually. yeah that's how i'm growing I'm as a person
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah this has been good it's i think it's about bedtime for me yeah uh, i gotta work in the morning yeah, but yeah oh, this actually, has been oh. good is there uh you kind of announced some of what your band's working on but it, yeah, it might have, been, be- so, it might have uh, been before we launched the call so yeah is there yeah, anything else
1: some some things so yeah just to, to reiterate go check out another arc we have a song that i wrote most of but obviously we collaborate and we're really cool and we run it like a like a startup, because that's, yeah. that's how you run a successful band. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. the only way it could work. Yeah. Um, and we also have Don't Tell Out, and we're going to have more music this year. I'm not going to say we have big things coming, because it's instrumental metal. So it's like medium-sized things or something. I don't know. Um, I'm also working on, I mean, this is just another little aside that, that I, I'm really excited about for myself, really because it's another creative outlet i'm working on a really crappy like unity 3d like video for these songs nice. i have no idea if i'll actually finish this so you may never see this people who may be watching this you know like five people could be could be way more in the f- future who knows yeah <laughs> it's, it's just it is a long videos so. yeah yeah but yeah go check out another arc and um you know, hit hit the like button and the, yeah. and the bell icon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it for you, yeah. so you don't have to. Yeah,
0: I always forget. So. <laughs> Hours
1: go by, and you're just like, oh, I forgot this is gonna be on YouTube. Yeah.
0: Oh <laughs> well, um, yeah! Thanks for coming yeah. on the show. It's been good to chat with you again. I miss you, yeah, buddy.
1: Okay. Yeah, I miss you too. All right, I think we it's can wrap talk.
0: it up there.